Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Upvoted, No Sleep, where O.P. Doverhawk writes, The surface of the moon was a dull, dusty gray, but the view from the lander window was still the most beautiful thing I had seen in my life. The earth shone brightly in the distance on a canvas of pure black, surrounded by legions of stars. I and my four other crewmates had just landed on the moon's surface a few hours ago, cementing ourselves in the history books alongside only twelve others who had witnessed the same majesty in person. Crazy, isn't it? A voice asked from behind me. I turned, knowing well the voice of the man whom I had worked closely with for the past two years in preparation for this mission. It was Andrew Radcliffe the crew's geological specialist. I can hardly believe it, I said breathlessly. I'm looking at it with my own eyes, and even still I can't believe we're here. Decades of staring up here, wondering what it looks like, will do that. Another voice chimed in, this one belonging to Diana Figueroa, our mechanical engineer. Doesn't seem real. The other two members of the crew, Noah Thornton, our medical specialist, and Amelia Shaw, our commander and pilot, were still working on donning their spacesuits, but I was certain they shared the same sentiment. With all of the post-landing checks complete, the crew was preparing to set off on the first lunar exploration since 1972. The commander had asked me to stay behind and follow protocol of having one person in the lunar lander at all times. I'd reluctantly agreed. Having secured her helmet, I heard Commander Shaw's voice come in from one of the speakers on the control panel in front of me. Testing comms? Test, test, can you hear me? I nodded and gave her a thumbs up. The others responded with their confirmation, each voice coming through the radio on the panel, clear as a bell. I pressed the mic button and spoke. Loud and clear, can you hear me? Again, they all responded in the affirmative. For this first outing, it only seems fitting that we visit Taurus Litro and pay our respects to the flag erected by our predecessors, Commander Shaw said through her radio. The valley isn't far, especially if we take the rover, so overall I think we can plan on a modest three-hour tour. Agreed? Everyone agreed. We've got enough oxygen for an eight-hour expedition, so there shouldn't be any concern there. 
If we run into trouble, Bellamy will manage comms and visuals fed in from the rover, and will be able to assist us from the lander. Just don't be gone for too long, I said. I can't wait to get out there, and it's gonna kill me to watch you all having fun. Don't worry, Cinderella, Noah said. You'll get to the ball. Yeah, Noah knows all about getting to balls, Drew quipped, earning himself a stern response from Commander Shaw, although I thought I could see a faint smile on her face through the reflective glass of her helmet. We said our goodbyes, and I watched from the window as my four crewmates piled into the LRV and drove off into the distance. The LRV was equipped with several cameras, all of which ran a constant feed into a series of monitors at the control panel. With that, and with the radio communication, it was almost like I was there with them. I wasn't suited up myself, sure, but it was just enough to satiate the excitement I'd felt growing in my stomach from the moment we'd left Earth. I watched as the crew approached the valley where the last lunar crew had planted their flag in 1972 and as our crew assembled and planted their own, my heart broke a little as I watched this all take place, wishing desperately that I could have been there. But I knew that someone would have to stay back had I gone, and I wanted that for my colleagues, my friends, as little as I wanted it for myself. It was enough just to be where I was. After about two hours had passed, Commander Shaw started to shut down the party. All right, everyone, finish collecting your samples and taking measurements, and let's get back to the lander. We promised Bellamy that we'd... Her voice trailed off. Did any of you just see that? Normally, I would have expected a poorly timed joke from Drew or Noah, but the sudden sharp tone in the commander's voice was so off-putting that I knew at once something was wrong. Noah? Commander Shaw said in a tone I liked less than her first question. Was that concern in her voice? What's going on? I asked into the mic. Silence answered. Commander, do you copy? Nothing. I looked over at the video feed and saw someone, I couldn't distinguish who, walking past one of the cameras. Then every single feed went black. Guys, what's going on? I asked urgently. Amelia? Noah? Diana? Drew? Can any of you hear me? Silence. I've lost comms and visuals. Repeat, I have lost comms and visuals. I'm totally blind over here. If you can hear me, return to the lander at once. Nothing. On the screens in front of me, white text flashed, reading... Signal lost. The silence I was then plunged into was so total, so isolating, that it sucked the air from my lungs and threatened to suffocate me. For a moment, I teetered on the edge of sanity, and then it was gone. I sprang into action, immediately running troubleshooting processes and reboot protocols. If both the signal from the rover and the comms were down, that was more likely to be an issue with the lander than it was with the team. And if it was an issue with the lander, it was something I could fix. I spent the next hour running diagnostics and trying everything to get comms back, all while repeating my message into the mic 
hoping that the team would return sooner than planned. As their arrival time approached, I found myself looking out the window several times a minute, anxious for my comrades to return and assist me with this growing catastrophe. The next hour passed with terrifying speed as I spent more and more time staring at the horizon, praying desperately to see movement. Still, nothing happened. Nobody came. Nothing moved. Where the were they? Being late was unlike Amelia. Being an hour late was downright impossible. Unless something happened to them. I took a deep breath. Nothing happened to them. What could possibly happen? They were the smartest people I'd ever known. The likelihood of them getting into trouble was impossible unless there was something outside of their control. And there were very few things outside of their control. I ran through the reboot protocols again for the communication systems, not expecting anything to work, but wanting something to help pass the time. Another hour passed, and still no communication from the team, and no sign of anything along the horizon. I did everything I could to focus on the problem with the comms instead of trying to speculate why they were so late. There was very little I could do until either I made contact with them or they came back to the lander. Eventually, I came to the conclusion that the only way the signal to the lander could be down was if there was physical damage to the antenna. Because not only was I unable to receive messages from the crew, I also couldn't make contact with NASA or the ISS. In order to fix that, I would have to climb to the top of the lander and investigate it for myself. I donned my suit, feeling only a twinge of excitement as I did so. Because while I was about to fulfill a lifelong dream, it was not remotely lost on me how utterly desperate my situation was fast becoming. When I stepped outside the lander, I was, for a moment, twelve years old again, lying on the grass in my backyard, listening to the crickets chirp, and staring up at the big white rock in the sky, promising myself that I would touch that rock one day. It was a perfect moment. One of the very few each of us are allotted in a lifetime. And just as quickly as it came, it was over. And I was climbing up the ladder to inspect the antenna at the top of the lander. Had I been further away, I would have been able to easily see that the antenna was broken. But because I hadn't stepped far away enough from the lander, I didn't make that discovery until I was nearly at the top. The antenna and dish were misshapen and bent, and upon closer inspection, I saw a series of small cracks and scratches around some of the narrower parts. Had I not known better, I would have guessed it had somehow been damaged during landing. However, that was impossible, because the antenna hadn't fully deployed until after we were safely on the moon's surface. I did what I could which was admittedly little considering the state of disrepair the antenna was in, and returned to the lander. I was able to get a few garbled sound bites, which was better than what I had been getting, but nothing that I could count as distinguishable communication. I was just about to take my suit off, when I heard it. To be continued. 
And that was an upvoted No Sleep Story by O.P. Doverhawk, whose work you can find more of on doverhawk.com. But that's only part one to this tale. Be sure to come back for more tomorrow. Sweet dreams. <laughs>